In today's episode with Nicole Kakal, we discuss the business mindset, how important it is to adopt a good mindset in business and in life, learning to express yourself, learning to be pragmatic in business and life, the uses and ramifications of AI, and more. I really think you're going to enjoy today's episode, and as always, if you would please hop on and leave us a review, it really helps us spread the word of the show, and I invite you, if you haven't yet, please check out the book that started it all, Renaissance Wisdom, How to Flourish in the Modern Day, now available on Amazon. Thanks and enjoy the show. Today's show is brought to you by IcePod, finally an affordable, portable, and effective way to get the benefits of cold water immersion in the comfort of your own home. I opted for the Pro Bundle, which includes the ice pod, a water circulating pump, a special insulated lid, and a thermometer to check the temp of your water. Even in Georgia, the ice pod keeps my water between 60 and 70 degrees, and when I load it up with a 36-pack of water bottles that I use and refreeze after each session, I can easily get it around 50 degrees for the perfect cold water immersion experience. Despite being light and portable, the IcePod is super durable and it's the perfect solution for anyone who wants to experience the benefits of cold water immersion without spending thousands of dollars for a home water chiller or trying to DIY your own. Cold immersion can help with recovery and muscle soreness, raise dopamine levels, help you wake up and be more alert, help you to burn more calories, mobilize brown fat, and more. Visit podcompany.com and use my special promo code SHANE. 50107 for $10 off your order, and each sale helps to support the show as well. Stay cool out there, people. Are you looking for the perfect high-protein snack that isn't loaded with stuff like MSG, nitrates, and sugar? Carnivore Snacks is the perfect high-protein snack made from quality grass-fed beef and salt. That's it. Each bag uses one pound of high-quality beef, lamb, pork, or chicken, salt, and nothing else. Aside from being easy, healthy, and convenient, they also taste great. These snacks are not just another jerky. They are way better. Give a bag a try, and I know you'll keep coming back. Check out Carnivore Snacks, spelled with an X, dot com, and enter coupon code SHANE05137 for 15% off your order, and each sale will help support the Renaissance Wisdom Podcast as well. Welcome to the Renaissance Wisdom Podcast, where ancient and modern wisdom come together to create a better way of living. I'm your host, Shane Sorensen, and each week we speak with successful people from a plethora of disciplines in search of wisdom from their own lives. Your own personal renaissance begins today. Let wisdom be your guide. Hey everybody, welcome to the Renaissance Wisdom Podcast. I'm here with today's guest, Nicole Kakal. Welcome to the show. Hi Shane, thanks so much for having me. It's such an honor to be here. Yeah, it's great to uh, be able to catch up with you again a little bit. Um, obviously, I know I came on your show a while back and I really enjoyed our conversation. Um, additionally, something I appreciate is uh, you're Atlanta also. So uh, we get to actually talk on the local time zones. Yes. The time zones on the podcast gets to be kind of confusing when you're trying to do conver- conversions and some people have daylight savings time and some people don't and um, ni- nice to uh, speak to a fellow uh, alien Atlantean for, for now. 
So um, starting off, why don't you just tell the guest, you know, introduce yourself, tell us a little bit about your background. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I am a proud Filipino American currently living in Atlanta, which is the 13th city that I've lived in. Um, my father was in the military, so hence all the moving when I was growing up and um, the travel bug just stuck with me in my entire adult life. So um, I'm also an entrepreneur and a professor at two universities based in New York City, the Parsons School of Design and the Pratt Institute, uh, two really big design schools that I really enjoy teaching at. And I've been teaching for the past four years. I can't believe it's been four years already. If you told me I would have been a professor 10 years ago, I would have laughed. <laughs> so yeah. it's something that I never thought I would fall into, but it really just goes nicely with... Um, the work that I do and um, the mission that I'm on. And yeah, I mean, that brings me into the the next thing, which is kind of, you know, it, look, I, I know you're working on a lot. I've been seeing, uh, seeing on like the social media and stuff that you've been traveling, doing speaking a lot, which is something we spoke about. I mean, I, I think it's awesome that you're doing that. It's, you know, so, something that's a little different, I think, than kind of some of the things you were doing. But, you know, what, what are you currently working on? Like what projects do you have going? Yeah. So where do I begin? Um, yeah. I'm one of those people that always has so much stuff going on. Like you were saying earlier, lots of irons on the fire. Yeah. Um, so right now I'm working on some strategic changes with my company, an innovation consultancy called Forbes Ignite. And uh, we are a licensed partner of Forbes Media, which means we're a completely separate company. So we have full autonomy about what projects to work on and uh, who we work with, which is great. Mm -hmm. That also means we're a startup, <laughs> right. which a lot of people are very surprised about. And um, we're focused more on human-centered artificial intelligence and innovation projects with Fortune 500 companies and late-stage startups. Um, and I love this focus because it combines everything in my background when it comes to human-centered design, business, and technology. And um, I'm also working on a new nonprofit I founded in December called Catalista, which is Filipino, the Filipino word for catalyst. And it helps Filipino Americans land roles in leadership, as well as help them become entrepreneurs. And it's very near and dear to my heart because I wish I had a resource like this when I was starting my career. And I think it's really important for underrepresented people to feel like they have supporters in their corner, no matter what they want to do in their career. Yeah, so many times, um, like someone's success, obviously like hard work and those things go into it, but a lot of times it's just access to information. And sometimes yes. information doesn't feel so accessible to certain people. Like um, my, my parents, they stay in like a low income housing area. It's like, it's not a retirement home, but it's like a lot of elderly people that are kind of low income. And it's, it's like a subsidized housing thing in Indiana. Mm -hmm. And, um, they have a large Chinese population specifically at the mm -hmm. area that they live. And um, they recently got word that they're going to be closing it down. And oh, wow. you know, that's something they've been telling me about is like, there's a lot of these people who have lived there for five or 10 years and they, they don't really speak English. And now they're having to fill out all these like aid forms and search for housing. So um, wow. Definitely. You know, I, I understand that just providing information and a resource for someone to be able to access information that maybe is underserved. Yeah. I mean, that's super valuable. So um, absolutely. 
And I'm, I'm yeah. sure that's something that, that speaks, uh, speaks deeply to you too. So that's really cool. Absolutely. And, um, in a former life, I worked in finance and something that I learned within working in that industry is that they always said access equals delivery, meaning like access to information equals delivery of that information, which is not true. Mm -hmm. Um, so I'm a firm believer that it's not enough just to have everything online. You need to have some type of structure or some type of program that will help people understand what's available to them. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it's so much more than that. So I'll, I won't get into that. That's a, that's a completely different topic. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, it's, it's definitely there. There is a, uh, there's a guiding process. It's not just having the information, right? Like, I think we talked about this in our last conversation, but it's almost information overload in today's age because you can yes. click a button and have any information that you could possibly want. So having someone to kind of guide you through that process, uh, that's that's like a whole nother step. So right, um, right. it's like curation that. that really matters for sure. So um, something I'm curious about, you know, kind of on a personal level, uh, is just your speaking that you've been doing. Um, I was really curious, like, obviously, you know, you're very involved in business. You've got the nonprofit. Um, I know that, you know, you have a podcast that you run and stuff too. Like, tell me a little bit about your speaking and like, what, what sort of topics are you covering? Is it mostly business-based? Is it, you know, self-improvement? Is it a mix of the two? Yes. No, it's so much fun. I'm really glad that you asked. Mm -hmm. um, it's something that... I haven't been doing for a long time. I've been doing it over the past two or three years and it just gradually progressed. And over the past few years, I've been at conferences speaking about things like Web3 and co-chairing and moderating conversations like that. But lately I've had the opportunity to speak more about leadership development. And I just gave a keynote on reciprocal mentorship which means both the mentor and the mentee learn from each other equally, not just one person. And this is different from reverse mentorship where the mentee is, reverse mentorship is basically where one party is in, like the more junior person is imparting knowledge to the mentor. Mm -hmm. And I think it's so important because so many people don't realize that they can make a difference in someone else's life through varying levels of mentorship, whether that's formal or informal. And I found that most mentoring relationships are informal and even more beneficial because it could last decades rather than just a few short months. And um, I'm actually giving a TED talk about this topic in a few months. Okay, awesome. Um, <clears throat> so you're you're sort of kind of going into, like, like, do you talk about the, I guess, the perceived role of authority, for example? Like, you know, something that I think about when I think of like mentor, mentee, right? Like you just talked about is you have someone that's kind of the apprentice and then you have someone else <laughs> that's in a, more authoritative position. And it's kind of like, I'm here to listen, shut up. But you're, you're sort of saying like, or you're, or you're talking about exchanging information both ways as it's a, a yes. two-way street is instead of a one-way street. Exactly. That's yeah. exactly it. And I did a lot of research on this um, within my company. And we found that the best relationships were always a two-way street and reciprocal that way. And hence why I went down the rabbit hole of reciprocal mentorship, because mm -hmm. I thought there has to be something more here. And why don't more people know about this? Um, people think that mentorship is just, you have to be the chosen one. You have to be 
that person in order to impart your knowledge, but that's not true. And like I said earlier, it's really important that people understand that a lot of mentorship is informal. So that informal reciprocal mentorship is super powerful, more so than the formal mentoring that where you have a set timeline, you meet like once or twice a month and over to the next five months, that's it. And what does, what do both parties get out of it? It's questionable. Um, some people thrive on that kind of structure. Sure. But you don't always have to do it that way. Sure. It, it makes me think of a couple things too. Like, you know, first off, I know you've read my book. One of the things that, you know, we talk, I talk about a lot in the book is humility and sort of like ego destruction and just kind of staying open to learning that there's really something that we can learn from everybody. Um, and another thing that comes to mind is I've, I've seen some research on like new doctors and they say that a lot of times doctors that just came out of med school have like more accurate diagnoses than doctors who have been practicing for, for many years. Now it depends on the specialty, but they're saying like, you know, part of the thing that's happening is that you have someone that comes out of school and they don't have these kind of like preconceived notions for what they're expecting. They're really trying to use the information at their disposal and they're fact checking. They're looking up symptoms in their books. They're actually like going through the process versus, you know, a doctor that, has many years is just like, no, it's, it's this, it's that it's whatever I've diagnosed a hundred thousand times before. So sometimes they miss these diagnoses because they're just kind of sticking it within their frame of reference. So um, I could imagine, especially in a field like technology or startups where everything is changing so rapidly that, you know, even somebody that's been in the industry for five or six years can be so far behind the the new innovations and the new things that are happening out there. Exactly. No, you're exactly right. And what's that stat? It's basically if you learn a skill set within technology, it becomes obsolete within five years or something like that. Yeah. And so if you are mentoring or speaking with someone who is supposedly your, your mentee and you're the mentor, you have direct access to information of what's going on several levels below where you're currently at. Because if you only get information from that lofty level that you're at, you're not really understanding things that aren't working, things that are working. And the information flows one way up the chain, and that's not always the most productive. Um, it has mm-hmm. to be that two-way street, as you were saying earlier. And then the, the, the other rabbit hole I'm thinking about, you know, I know you're talking about like AI too. I mean, AI is such a, a game changer. It, it's yeah. like, I, I'm starting to appreciate how crazy things are going to get like yeah. very, very quickly because uh, I've, I've been playing a little bit with chat GPT. Yes. And I ask it like, and I'm just using the free, like early version chat GPT three or whatever. And, you know, I'll tell it, like I'll say, okay, like for example, there's the philosopher Nietzsche who, you know, he's my favorite, but I really have an appreciation for the Stoics in the ancient world. And uh, Nietzsche has like a really long tirade where he like admonishes uh, Stoicism. He, he just, he can't, he, he says, this is like, yeah, it's like a, an effective mindset. However, it's just, it's really weak. You know, it's very dogmatic. And so I tell chat GPT, you know, give me uh, a, reconciliation 
of Nietzsche's philosophy and the Stoics. Uh, and it gives me an incredibly well thought out, beautifully poignant uh, way to sort of combine these two conflicting philosophies, or I'll tell it, give me an extra chapter to Thus Spoke Zarathustra by Nietzsche and, you know, in the way that he would have written in his style. And it, it, it types up a chapter that's like exactly what I would expect Nietzsche to write. Uh, and obviously the limitations right now, I think to like the, the AI or it's all about prompts, the better yeah. prompts you give it, the better result it's going to give you. So there is still some creativity in it in the sense that like, you can't just tell the AI, write me a book, but if you give it, uh, the prompts and you say, give me a book about so-and-so and so-and-so and so, and you have a little bit of that creative input, it's just, I'm rambling on a little bit, but it's, it's amazing. Yeah to see what AI can do at this point. And I'm just like, I'm so blown away by the future and, and literally how fast things could change at this point. Absolutely. I've been playing around with ChatGPT a lot as well. And there are these roles called prompt engineers now. I'm not sure if you've heard about that, but basically people who um, can basically come up with different prompts to get the outcomes that you want um, in a very creative way. There are like ex-poets that became prompt engineers as well, which is really interesting to me. Yeah. Um, I feel like you have to have that great um, grasp of the language in order to really get some, re uh, some really interesting outputs. And five years ago, just like th maybe even only three years ago, we were hearing about how AI is going to disrupt and make a lot of jobs obsolete. And it's something that was foreshadowing, but it's already happening. And especially yeah. today, it's happening now. And so a lot of people think, oh, ChatGPT is going to make a lot of roles obsolete. Yeah, sure. But it's also going to open up so many different possibilities of how you think and how you think about how does AI serve humans rather than the other way around. And so um, that's what we're really focused on with human-centered AI, making it more conducive to actually solving real challenges for real people, rather than just throwing technology at problems, assuming that everything's going to be solved. Sure. Yeah, I mean, we're, uh, like you said, right Right now, ChatGPT works for us. Maybe Yeah. <clears throat> maybe in 10 or 20 years, we'll be, uh, we'll be serving the jet chat GPT overlord. But for now, <laughs> for now, I think, uh, I think it's still, still is under our control. So, mm -hmm. um, and you said, so that, that's specifically in your business, you're working a lot with AI and integrating that technology into startups and new companies, correct? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So, we, we come up with a lot of different recommendations. We play in the conceptualization and ideation space. Mm -hmm. So we're not like the McKinsey's or the Accenture's of the world where they execute on um, different implementation. We're like, we come up with the inspiration behind what AI could do for you. And so in business, there's like the standard cost reduction, efficiency increase, um, so on and so forth. And mm -hmm. There's, there's a lot more than that. I'm only naming a few. And, sure. um, but what we're mostly interested in is how do you utilize AI for consumer facing products? Because there's a lot of use for AI specifically for operate operationalization purposes that people never see. 
like if you work at a big bank and you use AI to automate certain tasks to make your job easier, sure, a consumer never sees that, but it indirectly helps the consumer experience. Yeah. I, I've played with too, you know, I have a, I have a personal training background and, you know, my, my day job, I, you know, partially own and manage some, uh, some gyms here in Atlanta. And I've just played around with like what a trainer could do with it. For example, I mean, you can, you can tell it, here's my client, you know, she's 28 years old. She weighs, you know, 150. She'd like to weigh 135. She wants to gain X amount of muscle. Um, she has the ability to work out five days a week. Give me a five day per week workout plan focused on these goals in an Excel spreadsheet. Um, and it'll, it'll give it to you. And it's pretty good. You know, there's a few changes I would make. Um, maybe my prompts just weren't a hundred percent perfect. <laughs> and then you tell it, uh, give me a, give me a meal plan, uh, based on these macros or, you know, you can even tell it like calculate macros for this client. This is high age weight goals. Um, give, give me a macro plan and also print me a shopping list so that I can make a shopping list for the week and do my weekly meal plan. And it's like, I mean, it's incredible at processing data. So I can only imagine on the back end of a business where <clears throat> we spend so much time just processing data and making data accessible. I can only imagine what AI could do. And I, I think that uh, as people catch on to what AI can do, I'm sure that your services are going to be even more in demand um, because it's like, you know, you don't have to pay a robot. A robot doesn't take lunch breaks. It it's just a, it's a machine. Yeah, but they still need someone like you to look at the 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 workout plan for the week and uh, basically the whole entire package that it that comes with the output and make sure that it's actually a, like well, it's actually sound and not just sure. something that an AI spits out and that doesn't really apply to like physical fitness or anything like that. I love that use case that you just described. I would have never thought of that. Yeah. Everyone thinks that it only applies to ex existing technological solutions, but I'm more interested in the use case that you just described, like how it helps consumers. Yeah. So. Yeah. I think it's just, um, <clears throat> it's so early that it's, it's like you said, where you have like these, uh, prompt engineers, it's so early that it's kind of like on the, uh, the forefront, right? It's, it's about right now. Like, I don't even think we know, we don't even realize how much is possible with AI because we, mm -hmm. we haven't been able to collectively kind of come up with all the prompts and the yeah. utilizations that are necessary. So it really is, it's this new technology that just completely needs to be explored just like anything else. Right. I mean, when, yeah. when the internet first came out, I don't think anyone had any idea the, the applications that that would, would have for, you know, mankind, humankind in the future. So I think it's the exact same thing for AI. Exactly. There's, um, I have a prediction or a hypothesis that with the use of things like chat GPT and if when, when AI becomes more popularized, it's actually going to change language or change the way we communicate with, um, AI and ChatGPT because of the outputs that you're trying to get. 
And there's this discipline called ontological design that I'm really, really into that not a lot of people know about. It's a very obscure discipline. And what it basically means is that the tools that you use, the tools that you design, in turn, design you in return. So it's a continuous process. And so when you really think about it, if you're changing your behavior in order to get an AI to work for you, it also influences the way that you think, the way that you approach problems, even the way that you mm -hmm. approach different things. And it continually evolves. And just think about like the iPhone. Um, think about how that has influenced our everyday behavior. We're constantly sure. on our phones now, but back in the day, I, I forget when the first iPhone came out. Um, sure, we were still behaving in a specific way, but when the more used to it we got, the more we just expected to have information at the palm of our hand. And um, people rarely use the phone to call anymore. It's just like an, an information tool that designed the way we interact with it. So I'm super into that. And I really feel like more technologists need to understand what ontological design is so that we understand the implications of AI in the future. Yeah. It, it makes me think, <clears throat> um, I can't remember the term ontological, what would you say the ontological design? Yeah. Okay. Ontological design. So it makes me think of, uh, like ontology and, and philosophy. Yes. You know, which is like kind of a study of, it's really difficult to try to put into words. Just it, it's, it's kind of, uh, it's pretty complex, but it's, you know, essentially the idea that like the language that we use shapes the way that we view the world. Yes. So like, you know, for example, you know, in the Eastern world and the Western world, the, the different language makes a big impact on the way that we actually see and function in the world. Like a, a good example that I read in um, Malcolm Gladwell's Outliers was where he talks about uh, like the Chinese number system mm -hmm. and how essentially when in America, when we count with numbers, we're like one, two, three, four, five is kind of same number system in a way. However, it's like every single word that they use is it takes like half the time to process in your brain. So the average American can remember like seven numbers in a chain before they forget where like the average Chinese person could remember 10. And so wow. you, you take this and you compound it over <clears throat> someone's life in mathematics. And it's essentially showing that because of the way that the Chinese language uses numbers, they're able to process numbers more quickly, which leads to more efficiency, which leads to, you know, just in general, like when you look at the Chinese population, they're much better at math than the American population. And mm -hmm. when they look at the amount of time that they spend studying or the things that are shown in schools or things like that, it's very similar. However, you have this major kind of outline proficiency that exists because of the language and the way that they process that information. That is fascinating. I never knew that. I, I want to take a look into that more deeply. Yeah, it's um, it, and I believe that's what it was outliers, Malcolm Gladwell's uh, yes. outlier. So if I'm going to dig it up and make sure after the podcast and I'll confirm with you or not, but yeah, um, I'm pretty sure that is. So if I'm misquoting, I apologize, but no, no worries. <clears throat> so I wanted to ask you to, um, Specifically with business, right? Uh, one of the goals of this show is to 
pull out experiences and bits of wisdom that people, you know, the guests have kind of gained through life and through their experiences. So what lessons have you pulled specifically from business and from some of the things that you're doing that would you recommend or could you give to the listeners that they could apply to their lives to, you know, make their lives better? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, so many, so many. Um, but the few, starting with um, adaptability, I've learned that in business you need to be adaptable, especially in entrepreneurship. Mm -hmm. um, you have to be flexible and not so rigid in your thinking and be ready to deal with whatever life or work throws at you. And in some ways, my upbringing really helped me with that skill, given that I've had to be adaptable whenever I would move to a new city, especially at a young age, for example. And in turn, my business really helped me develop the skill even further, which then makes me more adaptable to situations in my everyday life. I've also learned that you need to be, <laughs> you probably hear this a lot, but you have to have a really thick skin. Um, business definitely taught me that one the hard way <laughs> mm -hmm. because you're not always going to work with people that you like. And I recently learned from Chris Voss, the former FBI hostage negotiator that wrote Never Split the Difference. Mm -hmm. It's such a great book. I highly recommend it. Um, I learned that practicing empathy doesn't necessarily mean you have to like the other person. You can empathize with someone simply by understanding what they're talking about. You don't have to agree with it. You just have to understand it. And I've practiced that both in business and in my personal life. Those are, those are both um, great takeaways. And it's the, the second point kind of makes me think of just the idea of like in stoicism or philosophy of just kind of accepting things as they are, um, mm -hmm. <clears throat> especially when you talk about empathy, because so many of the negative things that we go through in life or the, the emotions that we experience are just because we, we don't accept what is we're trying to like yeah. we're trying to categorize things or we want to label someone so much like as bad well every time i interact with this person at work they're just they're rude and they're mean and they're they're grumpy and it causes us to get upset and it causes like rifts in the workplace and then you know we're sitting there and we're like hammering these emails like angry talk like just thinking about this person and how rude they were to us but just accepting them as they are and maybe understanding, you know, Hey, like maybe they're going through a divorce. Maybe they're going through, um, you know, the loss of a loved one, or, um, you know, maybe they had a bad upbringing or whatever it is, just trying to get inside of that person's shoes and feel what they're experiencing a little bit can also help you to kind of accept that, uh, we're just all human beings doing the best that we can. And, kind of frees you a little bit from that, that need to judge, I guess, and just sort of accept as is. Absolutely. I read somewhere that it's helpful. Well, I don't know how helpful it is, but um, one perspective is to always assume that someone is mourning. And I mean, it's not, not to the extreme, but it, it just puts things into perspective that you never know what someone is going through. Right. And the, um, <clears throat> the thick skin also, you know, understanding that it's like really to do business at a high level, you kind of have to not let emotion dictate things too much because emotion in business is like, <clears throat> I'll give you an example that, you know, just kind of like from my industry, um, 
you know, the, the business partners that I have and when they're looking at gyms, they are very, very selective about the locations that they'll take on to, to the point that it's like, you know, we have to have X amount of like money for TI improvements where we can go in and do the building. We have to have X amounts, months of free rent. We have to have, you know, certain, uh, monthly kind of overhead and carry there have to be there has to be proper signage um we have to be able to lock in a lease without uh you know basically with like a 10-year guaranteed lease that doesn't have like too many escalations um mm -hmm. that there's so many requirements that even though there's like thousands and thousands of buildings in atlanta sometimes it takes a year to find a location um and while that may seem really excessive uh, one of the things that, you know, I've learned and that, you know, my, my boss, mentor, business partner has kind of taught me is that, you know, if you go into this in an emotional way, a lot of times you end up making a business mistake that you pay for, for many years. So you yeah. find this location and you love it, but it's like 25% outside of your realm of comfort. So then you mm -hmm. kind of, because you really want to go there, you start making these justifications in your mind. You're like, well, it's 25%. You know, we're, we're making, you know, generally like a hundred percent return in the first three years anyway. So that just means that I'm going to have to push my return off, but I really like this location. I really think it's going to go well. And then fast forward a year and, you know, you're running out of, uh, of capital funding and you're, you're trying to figure out, okay, like, um, are we going to cut an employee because, you know, that that extra 25 percent that you emotionally dove into pushed you over your comfort zone? So yeah. um, obviously, I mean, in anything, including business, sometimes you do have to follow your gut. But uh, I think that's the thick skin thing is it's like you really have to just look at what is right and what do I need to do in this situation and not uh, not follow that emotional impulse too much. Yeah, that is such a great example. And you're basically saying you have to be objective in your thinking. Um, yeah. Can't bring too much baggage with you when in your decision making. Yes, experience is helpful, but you can't let it cloud your judgment for an otherwise informed decision that you're making. Right. And it's like, I guess like in dealing with employees too, that's another good example <laughs> is like sometimes you, you may really like a person, but if if they're just not doing the job, sometimes you have to be able to make that call to, you know, either give them the, the choice of like, look, I, I like you, I appreciate you as a human being, but you're, you're just not performing the way I need you to perform. And you have to either correct it or, you know, we, we have to part ways. And um, of course it's, it's never uh, easy or doesn't feel good, especially to the person that maybe is getting told that, but um Again, that's where you got to have that thick skin and just be like, you know, it's business. They're just, they're trying to make yeah. me more productive and I have to accept it or um, drive myself crazy about it. Yeah. I think you and I both are very, very pragmatic people and we approach things from a very practical standpoint. And what I've also learned in business, which I have no better way of putting this, but a lot of times when you're managing people, it's a lot of ego management. Um, yeah, it's, especially when you're dealing with senior level people, um, they can have the best ideas in the world. And if someone comes in and thinks they have a better idea, you have to play facilitator. You have to play referee, um, and 
really just manage these egos. And I learned that the hard way as well. I, I thought that if you, I thought any, if anyone would to, were to come up with suggestions and uh, wanted to help, like any help is welcome. But in the, at the end of the day, it's really all about making people feel seen and feel heard. Yeah. Um, and they're more likely to perform better because of those circumstances. For sure. Managing people that, that is by far the most like yeah. difficult part of business in my experience. I don't know if it's the same for you, but no, definitely, definitely. maybe that's where like more, more of the robots and the AI come in, right? You just, <laughs> here's your prompt, go do it. No questioning. I don't have to worry about your ego. It's just yeah. like, yes, master, I will do, I will do this for you. Uh, so the next thing I want to ask you about, uh, we talked about this uh, a lot, and this is something that, as we're talking about ontology, I, I think this is kind of like you, you talked to me about the spirit of curiosity, and that's something I know that you talk a lot about in your podcast and in your business. And that's kind of a term that, while I would have said it a little different, I really like that that phrase, right? The spirit of curiosity. And when I think about philosophy all the way back to Socrates, right? Socrates tells us that the the spirit of philosophy begins in wonder. It's this kind of like idea that you're you're sitting somewhere, you know, you look up at the sky, you see these stars, you see the the moon and you see the the tides that follow the moon and you see the way that the grass grows out of the ground and the rain falls and you ask why as opposed to just being someone that just, you know, experiences it, which Obviously, there's value in that too. Just being in being in the moment and being present, and not overthinking everything. But this, like this curious mindset, the spirit of spirit of curiosity. Um, why do you personally think it's so important in business? No, I love that quote that you that you brought up, and I feel like a curious spirit is so important because you always have the opportunity to learn or find a lesson in something, especially in human centered design. There's, say, there's a saying that you can be an effective innovator by having a beginner's mindset. And if you look at a certain, if you look at certain age old problems with a beginner's mindset, that gives you the opportunity to come up with novel solutions that you otherwise would have never come across. And I also think a curious spirit's important because it helps us become more connected with one another. I think if more people practice curiosity rather than judgment, we'd all be in a better place. As you were saying before, like it's better mm -hmm. to, it's better than to be judgmental, right? And I listened to this podcast by, I'm not sure if you're familiar with Lex Friedman. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. He's an AI researcher who's really interested in philosophy. And what I appreciate about him so much is that he interviews really interesting people, no matter how controversial, and he comes from a place of genuine curiosity that brings out the best in his guests. And I think if more people did that instead of judging and talking past each other, we can achieve so much more and we also might be able to learn a thing or two. For sure. I interesting side point about uh, Lex Friedman is he's also a jujitsu black belt. Oh, I didn't know that. Yep. He's a jujitsu black belt. And I actually competed against him at blue belt worlds, like in like the fourth round and he tapped me out and I was really upset because I was doing really well. I won like my first three matches and I, I don't think, 
I don't know. He might've got like a, like a bronze medal or something at worlds that year. Um, and it was like, he was kind of the first guy that I guess like beat me. That was kind of like a, a bigger name in the sport. Now this is at blue belt. So this is at the bottom. And I was always curious, like what happened to him? Because after that, like he did really well at the championship that year. And then I just didn't really like see him in competition or anything anymore. And, um, I totally forgot about him for like many years. And then I just like saw he was huge on this podcast one day. Yeah. Uh, and I was like, man, that name just really <laughs> sounds familiar. And I was trying to place it. And I realized like, that's, that's where like, I, I knew him from was he like, he, he like choked me. He didn't choke me unconscious, but he choked me out like at worlds, you know, like 10 years ago at blue belt. So, Oh my um, God. Yeah. So he, he's like a, you know, he's definitely an interesting guy. Cause he's got, you know, he's got the jujitsu going, he's got the the engineering and the programming and the podcast and uh, super, super inspiring. And I guess, you know, that is that spirit of curiosity, right? Is it's just, uh, it, it's always wanting to learn more about so many different things. And mm -hmm. uh, that that's something that I noticed about you too. Like, you know, uh, you're a bit of like a Renaissance woman, right? I mean, you, like I, I was reading your bio and it's like piano and painting and writing, uh, CEO of a couple of companies, like you're involved in business, you're doing speaking. Um, do you, do you think there's a lot of value, I guess, in being well-rounded versus like just specializing or what are your thoughts on that? So I think my well-roundedness was by accident, <laughs> mm -hmm. but no, really appreciate that. Um, I do think that it's important to be well-rounded because you are not your job. Your job is your job. And I think a lot of people really, when they think about their identity, they tend to go job first. And I learned a very long time ago to break out of that mindset. Um, a, yeah. a lot of people, unfortunately, don't get that. And they think you have to be in this box so people can figure, figure you out. But in reality, we're complex human beings that have the capacity to appreciate different things in life and different hobbies, different interests, whatever. It's healthy and it helps you see the world in so many different ways. Um, I don't believe in being defined by right brain, left brain. Um, I think you just need to nurture your brain is all. <laughs> yeah. And it also makes you a much more interesting person. And I recently met a doctor who's also a ventriloquist and a magician. And in college, I knew a girl who was a fashion designer, singer in a band and worked as a worked in a lab as a biologist. So you never forget those kinds of people. Mm -hmm. That and that's, again, it's, it's the spirit of curiosity, right? It's, it's someone that essentially looks at the world. And they're like, there's so much to learn, let me dive into those things. And they're not really worried about judgments or trying to classify anything. They're just kind of pursuing their passions. And there's, I, I recently read the art of motorcycle maintenance or the, mm -hmm. the Zen of motorcycle maintenance, I think. I've heard of that book. Um, yeah. Life in the Zen of motorcycle maintenance, something like that. I'm, I'm messing yeah. up the, the title here, but uh, there was a focus on the Greek term arete, which really like he just keeps talking about essentially quality and the definition of quality and how would we define quality? And it's, 
when you think about it, it's like, and his whole point in the book is that you can't really define quality, but everybody knows what it is. Like th there is no satisfying definition for quality, mm -hmm. but when you show someone a piece of art or you show someone a piece of writing or you show someone a good car, a well-made car, anybody can identify quality, right? When you see a, an Ikea bookshelf, you don't think quality, right? It's functionality. It's, you know, it's, it's good for the money, whatever it is. But when you see like a really well-made, handmade, like antique piece of like oak, uh, you know, carved with like notches and everything's lined up perfectly, bookshelf, you see quality, right? But how do you define it? What, what makes something excellent? And the Greek term in arete is just this idea that we want to achieve excellence. And it's not something that necessarily is done in just one category. Of course, you can be excellent in one area of life, but arete is like when you're striving for excellence in everything that you do. It's not about competing with other people. It's just about trying to be your best at whatever it is that you do. And I think when you catch that mindset, right, it allows you to achieve a lot of things that are kind of outside of the normal realm of what people might think is possible because you're not, as you mentioned, you're not concerned with fitting into a box or trying to classify yourself or like, well, I'm, I'm an engineer or whatever. It's like, no, I'm, I'm a static changing individual with, you know, a, a mass of thoughts and potential, and I can manifest myself into whatever I desire at whatever yeah. moment. Uh, those limiting beliefs that we hold are so ingrained, right? Like where we tell ourselves, like, yeah. oh, I'm just not, I'm a right brain person. I'm, I'm just, yeah, I can't do math because I'm just too, yeah. I'm, I'm too creative or, or whatever. It's like, we, we can really do so much more than what we think we're capable of. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I love that you said that. And I, I would like to think that my um, life philosophy is, yeah, you don't have to fit in a box as you were saying, like you are a complex human being that can pursue your passions, no matter what they are, no matter how different they may be. And <laughs> even if they have nothing to do with one another, um, it's you that all that has in common. And so right. um, I like, you just described my life philosophy in a very eloquent way. So thank you. <laughs> awesome. You, I, I don't know if you remember from the book, the, the ship of Theseus. Um, it's, it's like this idea. I can't, I can't remember exactly who referenced it. Uh, but there's this idea, right? There's, there's a wooden ship and it's sitting inside of a Harbor. And every single day a soldier goes in and they take one plank out of the ship and they replace it with a new plank. And over the course of many years, eventually they replace every single plank that that ship was made out of with another plank. And then you kind of ask the philosophical question, is that ship the same ship, right? Like literally every single piece of wood and an object that made up that ship that was once there is no longer there. And in fact, like it's all sitting in a warehouse somewhere. So, mm -hmm. you know, is it the same ship? Is it not? And then you can extend it. You can say, well, what if you take all those old pieces of wood that made the old ship and then you reassemble it, you know, and then put it next to the other one? Is it, which, which one is the, the ship, right? Would you say like the other one is a new ship and this is the old ship or, you know, was the one the same ship because it continued to take up the same 
area of space in the harbor. Um, and it, it just, again, with a lot of these like thought experiments, there's no proper answer. It's just to mm -hmm. kind of emphasize that our idea and concept of what something is or the continuity of a thing is really more complex than what we think, right? Like we, yeah. we want to classify everything as human beings and, and make everything in these like neat lines and boxes, but yes. it's, it's just not that way in life and accepting yeah. that ambiguity and just kind of going forward, I think is, uh, I think it's a really important thing to accept at some point in life. Yeah. That's a very important skill. Um, one of my mentors um, and one of my heroes, Jerome Go, he was my one of my professors turned mentors at the Parsons School of Design, and he taught me to embrace ambiguity. And just because you don't have all the answers in front of you doesn't mean you're not on the right path or so on and so forth. For sure. And I wanted to ask you to... Uh, just about, and I know this is a very general question, so I'm giving you a lot of uh, liberty to take this wherever you want, but like mindset in general, how important do you think mindset is in business? Oh, so important. It's crucial in the business world, especially a positive mindset that gets you through the tough days. And some people get in their own way. If you don't think you'll be successful, then you're likely not going to be. It's that law of attraction or I'm not really sure. Um, there's so many different names for it, but mm -hmm. it's like that law of attraction where you want, if you want to see something in the world, you have to speak it into existence. That then influences everything that you do thereafter. And what I mean by a positive mindset is not necessarily having an unrealistic view of the world where you're in denial. What I mean is having a strong mindset that allows you to evaluate things as if you're examining it from a third party perspective. If you handle things this way, you're less likely to take things personally. You'll have more a more objective view about what's really important. And I believe this helps you ruthlessly prioritize your objectives and what really matters at the end of the day. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it, it makes me think of like the cynical quote where it's like, uh, and I'll have to kind of paraphrase it, but if... Uh, if you don't know where you're headed, like any, any wind is favorable, right? Like you just yeah. kind of drift about in the wind as opposed to having a a plan right and i mm -hmm. th that strategy little things like writing out a business plan and you know maybe every six months like sitting back and re-examining what your sales figures are looking like and what your client like how your clients are responding to products and maybe identifying things that you need to change i think that is so crucial in business, especially as we keep talking about with technology and how fast things are changing today, you just, you have to, you have to be um, adaptive, as you mentioned. Mm -hmm. A uh, example that I see a lot in the gym industry is there are a lot of people <clears throat> who go into it with totally the wrong mindset. And um, gyms actually are really, have a really high failure rate. Um, like, I think it may be as high or maybe even higher than restaurants, believe it or not. Um, wow. You wouldn't think of that because you see the big gyms like, you know, the crunches and the LA fitnesses and the big box gyms that are like spreading. But think about how many gyms, like none of the big gyms that were around like in the eighties, for example, or the nineties are like really around anymore. I mean, there's a few mm -hmm. gold gyms, but basically they're defunct. I mean, powerhouse, 24 hour fitness, like so many of these big gyms have gone out and those are the big gyms. 
when you yeah. look at even a smaller level, like your mom and pop kind of operations or your local gyms, almost none of those stick around. And um, something we see a lot is you see someone that was a doctor or, you know, a lawyer, like had a successful, you know, six figure salary for multiple years. They save up a little nest egg and their dream is like, I'm going to go out and I'm going to open a gym. And they don't know anything about opening a gym. So they go to a franchise like an Anytime Fitness was a perfect example. Uh, and they sell them the franchise kit. They're like, no, like we're going to give you everything you need. We're going to give you the support. Like you're guaranteed to make money or you're part of like our network. And they go into the idea that, okay, I'm going to open this gym. I'm going to hire somebody for $10 an hour to run the front desk, you know, for 40 hours a week. And, you know, I'll hire a manager and I'll give them a couple grand a month. And, you know, I'm just like going to collect money for the rest of my life. And every time what happens in that situation is like that person ends up working the front desk at a gym for 60 hours a week just so that they can basically break even because you're going into it with the wrong mindset. Like one going into the franchise is just not obviously they're, they're trying to make money. So they're selling you a, a dream. They're selling you an idea. But the, the bigger problem is that your mindset was totally wrong. Like if you're going into business with the mindset of like, I'm going to be completely hands off and somehow this thing is just going to guide itself into like the promised land that I'm just going to collect like a hundred thousand dollars every year for the rest of my life for doing nothing. And a bunch of people making $10 an hour are going to sustain my livelihood, man, you like you, you made such a mistake in your planning process already. Yeah. Yeah, that's such a great example. I would not to pick on franchises in general, but like they, like you said, they try to sell you the dream. And if you don't happen to have any subject matter expertise in that industry, then they, you can always learn. But like you said, they go in with the wrong mindset that, yeah, I'm just going to make a few adjustments. I'm going to do X, Y, Z and just let it go on autopilot. That's not really how things work. Right. <laughs> Well, and yeah, one of the best franchises that you see out there is like a Chick-fil-A franchise. I mean, mm -hmm. you see it all the, all over the place in here in Georgia, but I mean, like they have so many specifications. I think you have to work like X amount of hours at, at a Chick-fil-A. So like, you can't just go in as an investor and say, I want to open a Chick-fil-A. You have to work at a Chick-fil-A. You have to manage a Chick-fil-A. Yes. You have to put hours there. You have to see their process. You have to, you know, be bought into their mindset. You have to identify with and experience the company culture and it look like agree or not with like kind of like the political side or whatever of, you know, Chick-fil-A and um, you know, where they donate their money to and things like that. Like when you are objective and you look at them as, as a business, like there's a reason like Chick-fil-A can have a line. They always have a line for one. Yeah. Like their line goes all the way out into the highway and you're mm -hmm. through the line somehow in like 10 or 15 minutes the employees always greet you with a smile. They're super, like everyone's super friendly there. Um, everyone acts like they want to be there. It's not like someone's just like handing you your food, just like throwing it in your window because they're ready to go home. I mean, um, they they run a great business and it, a lot of it is like you mentioned, it's because they're, they're bought in and they've actually had to um, experience that business and know that business. You can't just throw money at it and just hop in. Right, exactly. Exactly. And um, I actually, I heard that they opened the very first Chick-fil-A in Hawaii within the past year. And it was like news. <laughs> it made the news because that's how big it was. Yeah. Um, 
yeah, just so I give the listeners context. I'm originally from Hawaii. My family's from there. They're all from one tiny little island. And yeah, um, my dad was actually looking into franchises and he was, he wanted to open a Chick-fil-A, but yeah, there's so many different, um, like you said, specifications and there's so many different requirements that you have to have in order to qualify. And so, yeah, that the world of franchising. <laughs> yeah. Well, you got to be realistic. It just, it, it's like anything in life We're we're so focused on, we want like the easy road yeah. when somebody tells you like, Hey, just, you know, give us $30,000 for a franchise license. And like, everything's just going to happen magically. Like you're just, you're just going to have money flowing in like that. That's the answer that everybody wants. Mm-hmm. But you know, it's, it's probably the person that's like, no, you know what? Like, honestly, maybe a franchise isn't even for you. Cause you need to, you need to understand the business. It's going to take a lot of time and a lot of hours. Like they're the one that's actually probably giving you the, the, I guess the package that has everything that you need to be successful. It's just, it's not the answer we want. We just want it now. Mm-hmm. We want it easy. Yeah. Yeah. That's the prevailing mindset that's out there right now. <laughs> for sure. Um, so one of the questions I ask all of the guests, uh, coming on the show, I've noticed, uh, pretty much everybody that has experienced any level of success to any degree, um, has experienced some kind of setback. Cause I think you just, whether it's like a setback that came from you taking a risk or whether it's that you had something really major in your life happen that caused you to kind of reexamine your life path and make a change. Um, I think that people who have achieved success experience some kind of major setback. So I wanted to ask you, you know, have you had, you know, any like, you know, big failures or big kind of turning points in your life that caused you to kind of reexamine and change, change your like trajectory or mindset? I love this question because I think everyone needs to go through some sort of setback in order to appreciate the opportunity of a personal renaissance. Um, Mm -hmm. For me, that's when I quit my job in private equity back in 2018. And I was finishing my first grad program and I had my first consultancy that I was doing on the site at the time. I was extremely unhappy and I was spending all my time trying to figure out how I could make the shift over to my consultancy full time. And I was really scared because of how comfortable I was and I didn't Mm. want to give that up. And it wasn't until the discomfort of staying put outweighed the fear of moving on. So I admit that I struggled a bit, but at the same time, not to sound too cliche, I really found myself. I stopped caring so much about what what my resume looked like or what other people thought about me. And it was so freeing. That was the year I started getting all my tattoos, getting all tatted up um, and to fully express myself and not to hide who I am anymore. And so I went through a complete change. And I decided I, w- I wanted to work for myself. But if I did, if I did want to work for someone else for a period of time, then they would have to accept me as who I am. And at the end of the day, when you start to be true to yourself, you start to attract the right kinds of people and opportunities. Mm-hmm. I, I love that. And I, I heard, um, I heard the other day, I heard a reference to kind of idea of like how there's just this right amount of I guess, discomfort that will, or comfort that will cause you to just stay in a situation forever, right? Like Mm -hmm. you see this all the time, like in relationships, like you get in a relationship and you're like, it's good enough. 
like it's not really good, you know, but it's it's like good enough that you just stay in it and you stay in this like dead relationship for years and years. And, you know, you have two people that are kind of collectively holding each other back um, yeah. because it's it's good enough. Yeah. Uh, so sometimes it's like you have to be just miserable enough to kind of make you be like, you know what, like whatever else is out there, it can't be worse than this. So I'm going to take action because if it's good enough, you'll just kind of stay there. Right. Um, and of course, I really like the idea of just, you know, the, the self-expression. And I think that so much of that, so much of life is about learning. Like, I know we were just talking about how it's really hard to classify yourself or how to, uh, you know, I guess, determine what a self is, mm -hmm. but when you start to tap into who you really are and you start to express that in the things that you do, that's like when the magic happens, when you stop yes. questioning everything to a degree and you start listening to kind of what's inside because you've done the work, you've worked on yourself, you've healed old trauma, you have looked at, you know, the things that are your strengths and your weaknesses. And you say to yourself, like, it's time to shine, right? It's time to like, really let who I am out as a person that that's when, like I said, I'm, like the magic really, really happens. I'm a strong believer in that. I couldn't have said that better myself. Well, you lived it. So I think, <laughs> uh, I think that that says a lot too. Um, so another one I wanted to ask was, I always ask for a couple of book recommendations. Like what are your, mm -hmm. you know, if you had two books that you could recommend to anybody, what, what would they be? Ooh. So the first book that I would recommend. So my favorite book that I read this past year, I might've mentioned this to you the last time we spoke. Um, it's called Post-Capitalism by Paul Mason. Mm -hmm. It's a mind blowing book. That's extremely well-written. He was an investigative journalist for the Washington Post. I think I'd have to double check that. And he writes from a very in informed point of view about economics and so much more. Um, another book that I really like that I read within the past few months is called Atomic Habits by James Clear. Yeah. Uh, which teaches you how to form new habits by taking small steps every day. I absolutely love that book. Yeah. I, when I, I listened to it in audiobook and I was, it was so crazy because so many of the ideas that were expressed there were like, I felt like I was kind of reading a very different version of my book. Uh, like, I don't know. There just, there were so many like ideas that I caught on and I'm like, you know, it just minds expressed through kind of like a ancient philosophical mindset and his is focused mm -hmm. a little bit more on like the science and the psychology side. So it, it's just so interesting to see how, like science and psychology and things starts to back up a lot of these kind of intuitive wisdoms that people have had for thousands of years. And it just yeah. kind of validates itself. But um, yeah, it was an excellent book. I really liked that one. Yeah. Um, it, it actually caused me to do like change my habits a bit. Also, um, one of the things I've been trying to do is be a lot more mindful of like how I spend my time. Uh, and that's, that's basically evolved to the point where I'm just like really trying to stay off my phone unless I'm actively doing something on it. It's hard because I do so much content creation, Yeah. but I'm like, okay, you know, I'm going to give myself a 30 minute window to go in, respond to messages, comments, like do my post for the day. And then I like, I'm off Instagram, TikTok, like 
no more like consumption. Like I'm trying to be a producer and not a, not a consumer. Yeah. Uh, is it, it really makes a big difference. Like when you it does. just in your mindset and your, in your presence as a human being for sure. So, um, yeah, being mindful of those habits is incredibly, incredibly important, which mm -hmm. leads me to my next question, which is, you know, with your daily habits, um, what, what are your, you know, recommended habits or do you have any like daily habits that you like to live by? Yeah. So I meditate every day, or at least I try to, and it's phenomenal what it does to your mind. I, I like to think of it as like exercise or lifting weights for your brain. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I also started journaling again, uh, which pairs nicely with meditation because when I was growing up, I would write every single night about my day without fail. And it was nice having a record of what was going on in my life at the time. So you just see how much you grow because at the end of the day, the only person you're in competition is with yourself, no one else. Yeah. And so I think journaling and meditation paired together uh, make a great combination. Okay. And with, uh, with meditation, obviously I know that there's a lot of different types of meditation, like specifically, like what, what type of meditation do you like to practice? So I do TM or transcendental meditation. Um, I learned it many, many years ago. Um, yeah. And it's just 20 minutes in the morning, 20 minutes, not in the evening, but like toward the end of your day. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. And every day and it just, you have like a mantra that you say, and you're not supposed to tell anyone your mantra. <laughs> so don't, t don't and, tell us. Yeah. Keep it, keep it. Yeah. Secret. <laughs> That's like one of the big rules. And, yeah. um, yeah. You just, and you just develop your own practice from that, from those foundational, um, from that foundational standpoint. Okay. I, I have a lot of people recommend meditation and I've, I've done it a few times, like more than a few times, but like never something that's been consistent. I feel like mm -hmm. I have a lot of like active meditations that I do like little things when I'm, when I do my cold bath in the morning, I like, I try to kind of go into like a internal place and. I've been trying to do more like affirmations and things yeah. like that. Just when I find like downtime, um, I've had a couple of really interesting experiences with like, just the, I guess, I don't know if it's transcendental, uh, meditation or not, but like kind of where you're, you're, you have a anchoring kind of word and you're trying to like remove thoughts gently and just kind of clear your mind. Um, I guess I, I don't know. I need to experiment with it more. Yeah. But, uh, I, I've had yeah. a lot of people recommend that. Absolutely. There's so many different ways that you can do it. I don't think there's a wrong way to do it. There's mm -hmm. just different methodologies that work better for some people. Sure. I also wanted to ask you, um, do you, do you have any heroes or did you have heroes at any point in your life? Kind of when you were, you know, growing up, like someone that you were looking up to. Yes. Yeah, so I know this is going to sound very, very cliche, <laughs> but it's, it's going to be my, my very first and foremost hero is my dad. Um, he's the most selfless person that I know. And I respect that so much. And no matter how difficult, no matter how difficult things can be, he's always been there for me and he's kind to everyone. And he's been such a great role model for me from, from that standpoint, I learned very early on in my career that it's better to be it's better to be nice to everyone because you have no idea who you might need later on or mm -hmm. 
your connections that even though, especially in business, I've met so many people where if you, if there's no immediate way that you can help them, they just toss you aside and you never forget that. But if you're kind to everybody, you just, you don't have to keep track of people. You don't have to, you just know that you, you were your best self to that other person and you didn't try to harm them in any way. And you have no idea when you might need that person in the future. So I learned that from him. Um, another person that I looked up to, um, I mentioned him before, my mentor, Jerome Go. He deserves two shout outs because he taught me so much. <laughs> um, taught me how to be like a business designer and embrace ambiguity, like I said earlier. And that really, really shifted my mindset instead of being so afraid of career decisions. And he basically helped me think through making decisions with intentionality rather than based on fear, because I spent my entire life worrying about things. <laughs> Mm -hmm. And yeah, he just taught me how to shift that mindset. And my life was significantly better after that. That's awesome. And I, the, the, the mom, the dad, the, like my kids, that that's like, that's the trend right now. When I'm asking that yeah. question about the heroes, um, it surprises me, uh, mm -hmm. but it, it makes a lot of sense thinking about it right now is, uh, you know, I think going into it, when I wrote that question and I was planning to ask everybody, I was thinking like the heroes would be like, oh yeah, like Steve Jobs was really this inspiration mm -hmm. or whatever, but that's, it's not it, right? The, the answer is like these people, we may look up to them. We may um, see things that they do that we try to learn from, but they're not really like, they're not heroes, right? They're just like, they're just people. Right. They're just, yeah. they're human beings that did something amazing and that, you know, experienced some success and also have setbacks in other areas of life. But it's those people that are really closest to us. Um, yeah. You know, the, the parents and things like that. That's, those are the heroes. Those are the people that really make the biggest impact in our lives. And it makes me think of, uh, you know, as cliche as Tony Robbins is, right? Like Tony Robbins kind of talks about like not, not trying to, you know, go out and change the world, but just like, really trying to be great to those like two or three people that you're closest to, because yeah. those are, you know, that those are the people that you spend all your time with, that you spend your life with that are going to remember you. And it's like, you know, what's more important that you're remembered as this like really, really successful business person or that, you know, at the end of the day, like your, you know, your family looks back on you and they're like, you know, they were a really great person or, you know, they were, they were really amazing. You know, I think yeah. if we're honest with ourselves, it's those really close relationships to a few people that matter more to us than, you know, how the, the entire world perceives us sometimes. So. Exactly. And we were talking about public speaking earlier. Mm -hmm. You want to know a great public speaker. That's Tony Robbins. He's like the gold oh, standard. Yeah. Everyone looks up to him in the public speaking world. He, well, he's amazing. People. I don't want to say everyone. <laughs> yeah. Did, did you see the, uh, I'm not your guru. Yes. Uh, documentary. I did. Yeah. That, that was so cool because I, I went into it and I thought they were going to like, I think maybe even they did, like even the people who did it were kind of like, we're going to go in and like expose him. Like we're going to show like the yeah. real side. And then they're just around this guy and they're like, wow, like he really, yeah. he's the real deal. You know, he, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, who, who knows, right? Like maybe he goes home and like beats his wife and I have no idea, but like, <laughs> 
I have to imagine that like this guy's the real deal, you know, that he really yeah. seems to be living the ideas and the things that he's promoting. So, I mean, that's, that, that's amazing because I think that he's setting a really high standard. So, mm -hmm. Absolutely. And the last question I always like to ask is, um, imagine that you could go back in time, speak to, you know, typically I, I imagine like a, a teenage version of yourself, because I think mm -hmm. when we're teens, a lot of times we're struggling, we're trying to find ourselves, we're maybe trying to find our place in the world. You know, if you could go back in time and give yourself a piece of advice, uh, what would it be? What would you tell yourself? Yeah, you were kind of alluding to it already. I would tell my past self as a teenager or a late teen, don't be afraid to be yourself. Stop worrying about what other mm. people think about you because you have your entire life to be worried about things. I get that right now. You're worried about grades, worried about boys, worried about getting into college, whatever. But these are the years that define who you are and set you up for success. And it's important to have a strong sense of self above all else. So that's what I would tell her. I love that. And, and that is the, that is one of the reoccurring things in that question is that there's a lot of variations, like it's worded a little bit different, but a lot of the answers are everything is going to be okay. Just keep mm -hmm. going, you know, look, try to be more curious, you know, fi find yourself, learn to express yourself. And it, it's, I think it's all about the same thing, which is like, just have, have faith in kind of like the direction that you're going, have faith with the person that is inside of you and try to go out into the world and express that. Cause I think it just, the world's just scary. It's tough. Yeah. You know, like there, there's so many things that we face, um, especially when your mind's not fully formed and you're at that young age. Um, and I always like, I try to take that with me in life, like I try to be mindful to just be really encouraging to people. You know, anytime I like notice that someone maybe is like hurting or someone is expressing to me that they're going through something, I try to like, like turn off like my focus brain for a second where I'm like focused on what I'm doing. And I really try to listen and just tell them like, listen, like, you know, you can do it. Like just, just hang in yeah. there. Like, and not people always tell you like, oh, it'll be okay. Like whatever. But like, listen, you know, like you're, you've gone through difficult times before every single person has, you've made it through yeah. those things. If you can make it through those things, you're going to make it through this. And, you know, you just have to trust in the process. Maybe you can't see it yet, but it's all going to line up for you. Yeah. 100%. So Nicole, I really enjoyed speaking with you again today. I really uh, appreciate you taking the time to come on the show today. Um, <clears throat> I'm going to, of course, you know, I'll put any links down in the description as well, but, uh, any, you know, any website or anything that you want to like throw out for the listeners where they can find you, if they want to learn more about you or your work. Yeah. If you want to connect with me, I'm on LinkedIn. Um, I'm not on Instagram too, too much these days, but you can find me at Nicole C. Kakal on LinkedIn, Nicole C. Kakal on Instagram. Um, you can also drop me a line on my website, which is NicoleCacall.com. And yeah, I look forward to hearing from you. Awesome. Well, Nicole, thanks again for coming on. Um, it's great speaking with you today. I hope you have a great rest of the day here. Thanks so much, Shane. It's great speaking with you. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the Renaissance Wisdom Podcast. And hopefully you learned at least one lesson on today's episode. 
Our mission here is to uncover practical wisdom to create a better way of living for our audience. If you enjoyed this episode, please help us by leaving the show a review on your podcast platform of choice and by giving it a share on social media. This really helps us to grow our audience and to continue to add more episodes. If you are interested in learning more, please check out our website at renaissance-wisdom.com or check out the book that started it all, Renaissance Wisdom, How to Flourish in the Modern Day, now on Amazon. Thank you again, and may wisdom be your guide.